0: Dive deep into the heart of South Korea's most pressing stories with the weekly Korea Pro podcast. Hosted by Jongmin Kim and John Lee, this weekly 15-minute podcast is your source for thorough analysis on all things ROK. From intricate politics to dynamic cultural shifts, we cover it all. Tune in every Friday on koreapro.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Korea Pro podcast, Insight, Not just information. Hello, listeners and Welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko's WetSloot, and I'm recording this short pre-interview interview interview on Tuesday, the 23rd of January, and I'm in the studio with Colin Zwerko. Colin, welcome back on the show. Thanks for having me, Jacko. So, you've chosen a couple of stories that have been big for you this week. What would you like to start with? Uh, Let's start with uh, the big topic of Russia and North
1: Korean cooperation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's an ongoing story, yep. What are the new developments? So last week, the the North Korean foreign minister, Choi hee went to Moscow ah, yes. to have a series of meetings with the president, Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. and also with uh, her counterpart, uh, Lavrov. So right. what I thought was pretty interesting about this was, obviously, I, we didn't really expect... Much
0: explicit to come out of these government statements readouts, right? Because previous meetings, even when when Lavrov went to Pyongyang, we didn't really get a very long statement. It was it was general platitudes and niceness, and yeah. we work together that kind of thing, right? Yeah, but yeah. they're
1: they're really not hiding anything when it comes to the optics.
0: I mean, North Korean state
1: media didn't really post that many photos of the event, but obviously Russian media they had pool reporters. These people aren't you know under the thumb; they're able to kind of report. As much as they, I don't know. Anyway, but so there were photos of these meetings, and yeah. in the meeting with Che, the DPRK foreign minister and Putin, yep. this was a small table, and at the table was just the ambassador, mm-hmm. uh, the North Korean ambassador, the tra- the translator interpreter, and then the top weapons official in all of North Korea. Ah, so this was who's at the table with Trey, and it, it it screams that the one of the top topics of the day with Putin was weapons cooperation, weapons trade, and I think this is quite interesting—the mm-hmm. fact that you know they're not hiding this.
0: Although at the same time, consistently for several months, both countries have denied any export, sales, gifts, donations of weapons, one way or the other, right?
1: Yeah, I th- I think they're just playing the the card of just political straight denial while right. not really trying that hard to do. I mean, they're trying to obfuscate the, the trade yep. in some ways, but... But these denials become less plausible
0: once you have the top weapons person sitting at the table at a meeting with Putin, right? Yeah, this was
1: Joe Chun-yong, the munitions industry director uh-huh. for the party. Wow. And then another thing that was really interesting, and I'm, I apologize, I don't know who was first to discover this, but an RIA pool reporter, a photographer, took a photo of a piece of paper that the interpreter for Che was holding. And ah. on this piece of paper, in the high-res version, I saw this on Yonhap and RFA, yep. they zoom. you zoom in on the piece of paper, and it has a list of Russian space-related places for visits, quote-unquote, I guess for a future North Korean delegation. Wow. So this is like a machine factory that produces rocket uh, machinery, yep. rocket equipment, rocket parts and a space research center, stuff like this. So space cooperation is also on high. And they, obviously that's where Putin met Kim at a space launch center. Yeah. So they're barely trying to hide that part that they're cooperating on space, on aerospace technology. Hmm,
0: okay, do uh, uh, you know if, if any uh, Russian journalists that were there were able to, to give questions to, to Madam Chair?
1: That I'm not sure of. I didn't see reports like that, but it's, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's well versed in the international sphere, so yeah. I don't think she would be phased by a question, right?
0: Okay, well, that's a uh, a development, and but we don't know any specifics yet as as to what came out of that, right? Have has either country released a statement?
1: Yeah, they've talked about uh, the meetings, but also yeah, just platitudes. Mm-hmm. And the the Kremlin spokesperson Peskov said something like, "We will be working in quote unquote sensitive areas," so oh. you know they're once again just barely trying to hide. Yeah. The sanctions busting activities. And also talking about Putin's visit to Pyongyang, which we expect to happen you know, sometime this year. But date is not set, but that will likely happen. And they're obviously still talking uh, about a lot of very sensitive issues. So that will require another meeting if they want to kind of go to the next step or move beyond what they agreed to last year.
0: So if you sort of, if we go back contextually to uh, to last September when um, it was it was Lavrov wasn't it who went to the uh, the parade in 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 Pyongyang? No, no sorry, beg your pardon. It was, it was Shoigu, the, uh, right, the head the of the defense minister, the defense minister Shoigu, who went there, and then Lavrov went later. So the, the, there've been now um, I guess half a dozen high-level meetings between North Korean leadership and, and Russian leadership over the last six months.
1: Yeah, and a lot of secret. Flights of uh, Russian military flights going into Pyongyang. Right, we've reported on a few of them, and a few of them have just happened that weren't caught in real time. So these these types of delegations, this military mm-hmm. talks at a maybe a
0: mid level, they're yeah. still ongoing all the time. And it, it, I just keep wondering, you know, how how it is that we haven't seen any high level meetings between Chinese and North Korean leadership in all this time. It just seems to be Russia and North Korea, Russia and North Korea. And we know yeah. that. Uh, that Xi Jinping doesn't like to be upstaged, you know, and China doesn't like to play second fiddle to anybody. I wonder when. You
1: know, I don't know about that. I mean, it's tough. I, I don't know if the the kind of line that you know Putin does or uh, that she doesn't want to look like the second in line in importance to to Kim Jong Un. I don't know if that really matters that much, especially because she uh, has a lot more to play on the, mm-hmm. on the on the international stage in terms of reputation than Putin does. But I think they will meet sometime this year. It's not. When you say that,
0: you mean she and Kim?
1: Yeah, that, you know that's just because trade is growing between yeah. the two countries. Post COVID situation, like rebounding, there are delegations going all the time between the two countries in the last couple of months. So I think that it just depends. I don't know if that means the leaders have to meet or not. But definitely, there's no kind of uh, issues between the two countries just because of what they're doing with Putin.
0: Right. No, that, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, keep an eye on that and, and keep us updated. What's another story you'd like to talk about this week?
1: I mean, we could talk a little bit about the, maybe the fallout from this unification, this decision by Kim Jong-un to abandon the idea of peaceful unification
0: with South Korea. Right. That's certainly a, a big big topic since the speech on the 31st of december by kim jong-un
1: yeah and then he talked about it at the at an supreme people's assembly session maybe a little over a week ago Mm -hmm. and so just in the last week we're kind of just seeing how this has moved into action so in Mm. in north korean tv quickly after he said in a speech at the supreme people's assembly that we need to get rid of references to unification in our propaganda we need to get rid of We need to redefine our borders and the constitution, stuff like this. Mm. So then immediately after that, in the next couple of days, you see state TV starting to not, they used to always color in the whole Korean peninsula as that's our country. Right. And then quickly starting to draw the line at the real border of the country where South Korea begins. And now it's only the North, the actual, as we know it, the North Korean territory is the only thing being colored in now. Mm. So that's just a little thing that where you can just see them Putting it into action, and we ex- they also declared they would knock down the unification monument.
0: They did, which is on the way from uh, from Pyongyang to uh, to Panmunjom on the on the big highway.
1: Right, just south of the of the city, the mm-hmm. big arch. to yeah. The yeah. They said they're going to knock that down. It hasn't been knocked down yet. I don't think, according to satellite imagery that I've checked in the last couple of days. And then they're also going to destroy the irreparably, quote unquote, destroy the railway, the joint railway at Zhe. Kaesong. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll blow a, a crater into it, but they can always repair that. Uh, right. I don't know how you irreparably... Anyway, so we're just kind of watching to see how much they go in this direction. But I just as a reminder, last year they were doing a lot of this already. Mm. Obviously, in 2020, they knocked, they blew up the liaison office in Kaesong. Right. They've been knocking down all the South Korean assets At in Kumgang, in yeah. which, you know, they, the South Koreans reasonably abandoned more than a decade ago i think yeah because not that much chance of getting it back but so it's not a lot of it is symbolic a lot of it's not new but it's you know it's moving forward and so we're keeping an eye on it
0: wow okay so uh yeah really putting words into action there and that the demolition of that arch of the the two women touching hands across the uh, the highway that that would be a, a symbolically big thing but i don't know what it'll mean to north koreans but it'll probably be it'll have more resonance i guess in south korea than uh, within north korea but changing the map is, is a big big deal, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. I mean, even in South Korea, you know, if you um, go to any, any uh, classroom around the country and see a map of Korea, it's a map of the whole Korean Peninsula. You never see a line there where the demilitarized zone is cutting the nation into two. So a recognition of that de facto border would be a big change, I think.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a, a small point, but it is going to require funding yeah. throughout North Korea to change all these instances. Right. There are a lot of places where it's on a permanent display, a lot of posters, a lot of books, they're going to have to change a lot of stuff. And so that's a whole project that they're working on now just
0: because that's the the new line. And presumably that's the end of of North Korean use of the the United Core- uh, Peninsula flag that we've seen used over the decades, right? The uh, the blue peninsula on the white background. I guess they won't be uh, wheeling that out anymore and Probably no more renegade South Koreans will be welcome to visit North Korea to talk about peaceful unification again.
1: Yeah, but you got to also remember they reversed policies all the time in the past. Just the the transition from 2017 to 2018, the, the amount of heavy, brutal rhetoric against South Korea and the United States that was then reversed once they started talks, it can happen. It just... We don't want to assume the conditions for North Korea wanting to enter talks again. We don't want to assume that they will at this moment, but there's definitely nothing stopping them from reversing these positions that they have now.
0: No, that, that's true. But yeah, there's, there's a cost involved, isn't there? That's yeah. interesting. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Colin, for coming in and giving us an update today. And uh, we'll see you again in the near future. Sure. Thanks, Jacko. Thank you. Get to the core of Korean insights with Korea Pro's exclusive Seoul event series. Join us for gatherings that bring you face to face with key opinion leaders, journalists, and experts on South Korean affairs for dinner, drinks, and more. Engage in deep discussions on political, economic, and social issues at special venues across Seoul, from dinners with Korea Pro editors to insightful conversations with renowned guests. Each event promises a unique blend of expertise and networking. Immerse yourself in the pulse of Korea. Register now at events.koreapro.org. Okay, welcome back. And joining us for our long interview today, we have John Soojin, who for twenty, for over twenty years, has been staff writer in both Korean and English for Jungang Media Network. That's at the Jungang Ilbo in Korean and Jungang Daily English newspaper, where she's had the honour of several awards and scoops for features that she's written. She's been a correspondent for key government agencies such as the Presidential Office called Chongwa De and the Foreign Ministry, and she's covered North Korea, which is what we'll be talking about today. Soojin, you and I have. Something unusual in common. We've both studied at Yonsei and Korea Universities.
2: Wow. We are the betrayers
0: for we each. are the betrayers. Yes. I, I never <laughs> went to a single <laughs> Goyon or Yongor sports event. I have no interest in sports whatsoever, as regular listeners will know. Did you ever go to any of those events?
2: You know, I used to go every single year.
0: Wow. Okay. Did you... Cheer for both sides? No,
2: um, because I went to the undergraduate of Korea, so I am Korea in my DNA, Ah, I have to say.
0: Okay, well I went to Yonsei first and Korea later as a graduate student, (laughs) but yeah, I I have no loyalty. Uh, So how did you first end up writing a news story about North Korea?
2: Actually, I have to, well, talk about my family tree ah. uh, first sure. because, you know, like I'm half North Korean. Okay. I have to say because, you know, all my grandparents on both sides, like actually they um, came from North Korea.
3: Oh. Well, whereabouts?
2: Well, like my father's side, they went from the Hamgyong, mm-hmm. North Hamgyong province, okay. and my mother's side from the Pyongyang-ish. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I'm saying Pyongyang-ish because they, are, they were not in the city, but right. in the whereabouts. So they all like uh, fled the war, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they've been sort of like, uh, it has been a ritual for me, like every single year, like for Seul날, the New Year's holiday, yep. to go to the northernmost part of the world, well, so- South Korea, which is Imjingak. And I was just a little girl, knowing nothing and just craving for my candies, but everybody was crying there. Mm. And um, I did not. I had like no clue. Like why? Why are they crying? And why are they so silent? And I, as I grew up, um, I sort of like understand like the weight of being a separated in um, the family. Right. So that's how I got motivated.
0: Okay. So yeah, really, it's in your uh, in your blood. Now, do you find it is it difficult to catch the attention of readers in South Korea? Is North Korea still an interesting topic to South Korean readers, especially people under the age of fifty?
2: That is such an important question, Jacko, because, um, you know, um, I've done like North Korean coverage has been my has been sort of like a like like the crown like a jewel for me like yeah. for many years and i've put my heart and soul in it but the funny thing is and also somewhat frustrating thing is mm. because we get the data like these days like right um, about like how many page views we got right. like for, for what uh for which like stories and um whenever i start like writing whenever i start like write like some in-depth like uh, news analysis about like uh, Kim Jong-un's ambition and on nuke amino um, you know, weapons and things like that well I and like other times I like write about like just loud hearted like uh, sort of stuff Oh, like which handbag did the researcher carry this thing mm-hmm. and surprise for the latter, on Juice like handbag gets like much much more
0: page views.
3: Right.
2: So that is a a bit frustrating, but I'd actually, you know, that's sort of like a. I think that at least people are interested in North Korea still.
0: Or are they interested in celebrity culture in general? And then Resolju simply becomes one more celebrity, like a K-pop star or a Korean drama or film actor. And you wonder, well, what kind of bag does I don't know, Huang Hegeur have, or or you know, what kind of sunglasses, does Yi Byung-hun wear, you know, that kind of thing. It's part of celebrity culture.
2: Yes, that is very true, Jacko. And um, on, well, on top of that, I'd like to just like think that, well, they are the celebrities and there are celebrities from a weird world, right? From Pyongyang, their hermit kingdom, mm-hmm. and well, like so-called brothers and sisters in the past, from the past. So right. I think that sort of like adds a little exotic sort of flavor.
0: Ah, yeah. So it's it's near and far at the same time. Mm-hmm. Familiar and exotic. Now, earlier this year, you had a story published at the Jungwang Elbow in which you talked about, quote, season two of North Korean summit diplomacy and that attention should be paid to Kim Jong Un's knowledge diplomacy. So tell us a little bit about how you see North Korea's summit diplomacy approach changing in recent years. What What's the approach in season two and what's knowledge diplomacy all about?
2: Yes, actually, I think, well, Pyongyang uh, seems to be right now taking kind of a repose kind of like taking a well some might call it an impasse like because nothing is happening well dialogue wise but at the same time i think they're just like taking a step back to take the world yeah well from the world Mm -hmm. like i think they're just becoming something like a crouching tiger Uh and hidden dragon and they are just like waiting for the right time and as you like know better than me jacko well they are geniuses in finding the right timing
0: They are very good with the timing, yeah. Yes,
2: so I think because that is why they are, because next year is a season of elections in many countries. Not just in Korea, like in April, we have this general election for the National Assembly. And of course, there will be, I don't know, maybe a change, maybe not, in the White House Mm -hmm. and also many other parts of the world and there are, like, wars going on in Gaza Strip and also in Ukraine. Yeah. So they are just, like, thinking, that okay, this is not the right time. You know, we have to be crashing a little bit more and just, like, but we do not want to lose attention. And that is why they are having their little princess out on the front. Uh,
0: and we'll come back to the little princess later on. Uh, so season two is about sort of w- waiting and watching, is it?
2: Yes. And, and I-, I think that, you know, oh, please allow me to say that the season three might they unfold pretty soon, like um, next year.
3: Mm.
0: You
2: never know, yeah.
0: And what about knowledge diplomacy then? What's North Korea's uh, strategy of, of knowledge diplomacy?
2: Yes, actually, well, to talk about the knowledge diplomacy, I have to bring up this, like, well, lady professor, lady scholar, whose name is Park Young Ae, uh-huh. and you, of course, know her, right? Um, is Park yeah, Young Ae? Yeah, we a- met
0: at a uh, at a book talk that Park Young yes. Ae gave when she was in Seoul uh, a couple of months ago.
2: Yes, at the Canadian Embassy. Yep. Yes, and well, she happens to be a South Korean, of course, with Canadian nationality, mm-hmm. who actually has won a tremendous level of trust of the Pyongyang regime. So before pandemic, she was, I guess, like she is one and only person who could bring professors and even like presidents of the prestigious like uh, universities of Pyongyang, Mm -hmm. not just Pyongyang but in all of North Korea to Canada, to her institution, to the UBC University of British Columbia, and they had like uh, seminars and they had like uh, you know sessions, like discussions. The knowledge diplomacy is actually a term that she coined. Ah. She has the credit. And I just used it in my articles.
0: Okay. And so is it about knowledge exchange Yes, to to achieve diplomatic ends? Yes. Okay.
2: So it is like a kind of a way that um, you know, Pyongyang is like a sending a signal to the world that we are not like hermit kingdom. Like we are willing to talk when things are right.
3: Uh huh.
0: But most of that was pre-COVID, right? I don't yes. think they've done any knowledge diplomacy yes. since COVID. All right. Uh, now, of course, this year, we've seen a lot of diplomacy between Russia and North Korea. Not much high-level stuff between North Korea and China. So have you reached any conclusions about why North Korea and Kim Jong-un personally is putting so much effort and attention into relations with Russia rather than China?
2: I think, um, well, Kim Jong-un is, uh, is not stupid at all. Like He is really smart, and he is getting like, smarter year by year, I think. And I think he is reading the map right now, mm-hmm. and because like uh, on the other on one side of the globe, we have United States, Japan, and other nations that like, uh, go all teaming up under the Indo-Pacific sort of a strategy, kind of a framework, right? And Kim Jong Un is like, like okay, well, I might be thinking that I need to build up something like opposite. So in that sense, like he is teaming up like more mm-hmm. with China and Russia, and to have that kind of triangular sort of a strategy, like to have some kind of du- juxtaposition with the Indo-Pacific from the United States, and like he's actually being really smart because like uh, you know China and Russia are in need of those like you know kind of partnerships in the world right now.
0: But I- I've talked to. Some people, including Chad, but also others, who see that North Korea's interaction with China and Russia as being, from their perspective, from Russia and China's perspective, not so much based on common goals or common ideology or common interests and values, but it's much more transactional. It's, if you have X, I have Y, we can both gain something from this. Whereas a, you know, the, the, the Western-style alliance and coming together in cooperation is more based on ideas of this is how the world should run, that kind of a thing.
2: Yes. I. Do like agree 100% I've talked to just 10 days ago I sat down with this like high- level incumbent um, you know diplomat whom I cannot name here but um, he a said Korean the same diplomat. thing yes a Korean okay. diplomat who actually meets with the president like, on a regular basis mm-hmm. and he told me that quite the same thing and I actually I completely agree with him will actually talk about this like uh, Kim Jong ills mm. um, and sort of a, a kind of will. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. Kim Il Sung's will to Kim Jong Il ah. was supposedly. Kim Il Sung
0: was for our listeners there. He died in 1994.
2: Yes, thank you for that. And um, he actually, well, apparently, told Kim Jong Il, the second leader of North Korea, that never ever trust China.
3: Ah, okay.
2: Because China and North Korea, I think they are like sort of utilizing each other. I think they are sort of like a teaming up, mm-hmm. but they are not, not like you know, giving their hearts and soul to each other. All right. It's kind of a partnership. It's not like marriage.
0: Right. Okay. So it's, a, yeah, it's a, a, a transactional partnership. Yes, exactly. Now, this year has seen an increase in trilateral coordination and cooperation between the U.S. and South Korea and Japan. And as you reported, North Korea is very much a top priority for these three countries. Now, I saw in an article that you wrote that an Indo-Pacific strategy report published more than a year ago by the South Korean government somehow ended up on the desk of a U.S. State Department official and served as a catalyst or a starting point for the trilateral summit held at Camp David last August. Can you explain more about the role that this report and Korea played in the trilateral cooperation?
2: Yes, actually. Well, that was one of the things that I learned from my reporting tour recently, which just ended early this month, mm-hmm. so this is pretty like latest or like kind of fresh. Yeah, the official that I talked to is like the one who works at the State Department at the foggy bottom, mm-hmm. or as we say it. He was actually saying that he was really inspired by the reports published by the foreign ministry. Mm. And um, he actually got it printed out, like, intentionally, instead Mm -hmm. of, like, just, like, well, skimming through on his, like, iPad, whatever. And he actually intentionally put it on his desk to have it as a reminder that, okay, it is time to, well, strengthen the ties, the trilateral ties Mm -hmm. uh, among the three nations. And, in Korea and Japan... As you know, well, we are not always, you know, best buddies, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and things have not been very good, like for the past, especially for the past three or four years. But now things are different. And that report that, we, that you just brought up mm-hmm. became kind of a signal, kind of a bellwether that okay, it is time to start new,
0: A new relationship between yes. these three countries? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Briefly, what is South Korea's Indo-Pacific strategy?
2: Actually, I think the gist of it is—it is like a huge report, and I sure. don't want like, to bore your listeners. But I think the gist of it is that actually, South Korea is—it is a declaration of Seoul that okay, we are, we seeing beyond the peninsula.
0: Ah, okay.
2: And we are ready to put our national interests the first, mm-hmm. and for that, we are ready to team up with Japan. Yeah. Although we have some past like a sort of related issues, issues. Yeah. yeah. But we are moving forward. I think, and that is the gist of it.
0: Now, earlier this month, you also reported that the U.S. ambassador to Japan, Ram Emanuel, spoke to reporters. I guess you were there. And he said- Very
2: interesting conversation.
0: He said, even if there are changes in the Korean National Assembly with the election coming up next April, or changes in who's in the White House after the U.S. presidential election in November next year, the trilateral U.S.-Korea-Japan cooperation will not be shaken because it's embedded in the new DNA of diplomacy. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us about that and how he could be so sure.
2: Yes, actually, it is our job, Jacob, to be skeptical, right, Right. as a reporter. Yeah. And that reporting tour that I just, like, mentioned and the conversation with Ambassador Ram Emanuel took Mm -hmm. place during that reporting tour. Uh So before I got on the plane en route, to first Washington DC and then to Tokyo. I was really skeptical about this trilateral sort of a you mm. know um, partnership. I have to I have to be really honest with you.
0: Yeah, a lot of people are. Yeah, and, and especially skeptical about the durability of it.
2: <laughs> yes, actually sustainability or mm-hmm. durability. Well, so I was like, okay, Camp David was really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, things were perfect, but that was the summit diplomacy. Yeah. And as you said, the durability is the key issue. And I was really like, kind of really skeptical, and I was taking everything with a great, a big, thick salt. Mm-hmm. But I, I talked to, I did some counting last night, and I talked to like forty, more than forty government officials, and more than 12, 20 like scholars, like after from record. different countries. Yes, from different countries okay. in DC and also in Tokyo and mm-hmm. also in Seoul. Okay. And I was really kind of a. Well, I do not want to say this as a reporter, but I have to say I was convinced mm-hmm. that okay, this is something serious. This so is the,
0: this yeah. is a, it. It has some depth, does it? Yes. this new relationship. Yes.
2: yes, and actually, I sort of like uh, thought that while talking to some not politicians, but some like uh, business people mm-hmm. and some like uh, IT related people, and they were sort of like uh, seeking ties and partnerships with, well, in terms of like quantum physics. And oh. some economy kind of a related sort of discussions. And, and that was like being done in the trilateral sort of a framework. Mm-hmm. There is really smart thing, right? And they're not just like policies, be- because policies can be so fragile. You know, things can be changed just like that. Yeah. So, but they are sort of like embedding it really into many parts, many layers of the society. And I think that it's sort of like got me sort of thinking, that okay, they might, there might be some sustainability issue being built.
0: Okay, so you think that it could last longer than the uh, the current election cycle? Well, I mean, we we can't call it a a three way alliance at this stage. But do you think that somewhere down the track it might become an alliance?
2: You mean the trilateral? Yeah, I think I think it is a little early for me to say Mm -hmm. um, anything because you know things about the past between Korea and Japan are uh, you know they can be really. Well, they they can change everything, mm-hmm. and actually, well, we have some court rulings related to the forced labor issues, and I think like the, the Korea and Japan sort of a bilateral is a really a key factor for me to be able to say anything.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, we we've seen how political winds can shift here in Korea and also in Japan, and yes. that uh, things have been put aside can sometimes become the the focus area all of a sudden. So. We have to keep watching to see how durable, how sustainable this new relationship is and whether the United States is uh, interested in it and able to keep both Korea and Japan talking in, in, a, in a constructive way. I noticed in, in reporting this, you quote our former podcast guest, Markus Karlauskas, who said something. <laughs> he, he introduced a phrase that was a new phrase to me called the turkey paradox. Yes. What is that turkey paradox? I love paradox? that
2: para- turkey paradox thing that he brought up and I learned a lot. But um, um, he was sort of like explaining um mm-hmm. that there's turkey and we're like, talking about
0: uh, the turkey, the bird, right? Yes, the bird. Not, yes, not the country. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, not the turkey. Eh? Yeah, the turkey, the bird. And um, he was just sort of saying that okay, well, this is spring. The turkey is happy, and the farmer is feeding the turkey. legs like, and um, he's taking it so seriously, and like, turkey is like the farmer's like uh, like kind of a treasure. Mm-hmm. So turkey sort of like uh, gets like a uh, well, he—I mean, he or she—the turkey—it yep. sort of like a grows them some respect and trust for the farmer. Mm-hmm. But the farmer has an op, like a purpose, right? But the turkey knows nothing, and the turkey sort of like a gets like a trust. Okay, everything will be fine like a tomorrow as well. But the tomorrow happens to be the Thanksgiving day. Mm. So the farmer gets
0: the farmer kills the turkey yes. and eats the turkey. Yes. Okay, and so this is obviously an analogy in Marcus Kaloust's analogy. Who who is the turkey?
2: Actually, well, he was just sort of saying that the North Korea, well, is he was not just like uh, pinpointing any like specific ah. like a stakeholder, but um, he was just saying that you know if we just like keep thinking that North Korea will be just North Korea, you know, we might be in danger. Ah, so, so if we get so accustomed of, like, mm-hmm. a North Korea being just North Korea, just, like, a, well, shooting missiles or, like, a, but not giving any kind of a really lethal kind of a danger to mm-hmm. the world and just, like, a, let North Korea be North Korea, it might be really sort of something dangerous for the world.
0: Okay. So it's, it's an analogy about the, the dangers of complacency. And, yes. Uh, and, 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 yes, exactly. Uh, thinking that. Yesterday was okay, today is okay, so tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be, be okay too. But
2: yeah. tomorrow may not be
0: okay. Mm. All right. Now, last year in, in August 2022, you published a book called North Korean Women in Power, Daughters of the Sun. Was it only published in English or is there a Korean version too?
2: Actually, I just wrote it in English because I've sort of like figured that, well, there is no English language book on North Korea written by South Korean reporters. Mm. And of course, there are like quite a few really good, great books in English like on North Korean regime. But I wanted to give it a, a perspective from the South Korean sort of way of seeing North Korea.
0: So one of your chapter titles is The Birth of New Women. Who or what are the new women in North Korea?
2: Yes, actually, I think to talk about the term new women, mm. I have to go back to Mr. Kim Il-sung, you know, the founder of the regime. Yeah. And while like, doing a research for the book, it was like, sort of like my nerdy kind of thing to like, dig everything that I could read from the speeches, mm-hmm. from the old-time speeches that Kim Il-sung made. And that was from his one of most speeches to women. Ah. And he was saying that well, it is a time for new women who actually um, should be treasured more by the society. And he was actually saying that women should be working and women should be the mothers of the revolutionaries.
0: That sounds like a double burden. Yes. Working for the job and being the mothers of revolutionaries.
2: Actually, come to think about it, Jacko, like, uh, that was a time right after the war.
0: The Korean War? Yes,
2: okay. the Korean War. Yeah. And actually, before Korean War, well, of course, we had this colonial period. Um, mm-hmm. But before that, that was Joseon Dynasty. Yeah. And Joseon Dynasty did not actually give much freedom, like, let alone the well, prestige to women, right? So women in the peninsula were sort of like not treated equally. Mm-hmm. We all know that, right? But right. like, uh, we have this say, like, Just imagine, uh, you are uh, just like average Jill yeah. living in Pyongyang, and you have this new leader saying that, okay, we should treat you with more respect, mm-hmm. and we are now calling you a new woman. Ah. How would that feel? Right. I think that was really kind of smart.
0: Well, North Korea was very quick to pass a law on gender equality. I think even before the formal foundation of the state on the September of the 9th in 1948. So the, the, one of the first laws passed during the Soviet military administration was this law on, on gender equality. So I guess this idea of new women fits into that. Yes, but, but, I, but
2: that is actually only on papers, right? right. We uh, all know that. Generally, yeah. it's mm-hmm.
0: said that the role of women in North Korea isn't that much better than, you know, maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's the same as here in South Korea, but it's certainly not a paradise for women.
2: It is not, but actually, when I was re- uh, writing my master's degree at Yonsei, uh-huh. um, oh, 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 I'm sorry, at Seogang. This is a different university, but okay. but um, I was a master's degree on North Korea, and I actually for the like paper, mm-hmm. I interviewed more than a dozen like uh, North Korean defectors uh-huh. who are all women yep. and who uh, were the college graduates, and actually they told me that they actually did not have that sort of a freedom or respect in North Korea. And that is why they chose to defect their home, to find a new paradise in South Korea. But things are equally frustrating here. And I always like, say that um, you know, North, in North Korea, women are the ones like, who actually have to bring home the bacon and also cook them.
3: Mm,
0: right. So, so it's the, a double
2: burden, as you said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Now, in your book, you focused on Kim Yo-jong, the younger sister of Kim Jong-un, and Ri Sol-ju, wife of Kim Jong-un. Choi Son hee now the foreign minister and Hyun Song-wal, uh, a singer and a de facto political uh, protocol officer. Yes. When your book came out, it was still a few months before Kim Jong-un's daughter was first brought before the public in November 2022. So what conclusions did you draw in your book about North Korean women in power in general? How powerful are North Korean women in the elite circles?
2: Yes, and to talk about these women that you just mentioned, I have to like, uh, start my logic with Kim Jong-un. Because Kim Jong Un is the first ever leader of North Korea who actually has this female entourage. Mm come to think about it he is actually like surrounding himself mm-hmm. with these ladies right like first ladies are jew ju- and nowadays as you said like a Jue, well, the name we are not 100% sure mm. but the daughter who is put out in the front and also like miss the kim yo the sister and the first ever lady minister the uh, the madame secretary of north korea whose name is Sun he as yeah. you mentioned and he is surrounding himself with these lady like, elite elites, and there is a message to it. But at the same time, I always get this question. So, in case of contingency, mm-hmm. will Kim yeo be the queen?
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, well, that, that was something I was going to come to later on. But yeah. In, in, to, right now, do they have power?
2: Actually, I think they have the power to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But I hope I'm really wrong. But I have to say that, well, they are very aware of their limits of their powers because they are very aware that, well, you know, they are given this power because there is Kim Jong-un on top. Mm -hmm. And they know that they have like one person who can be the king, and that is Kim Jong-un. And without Kim Jong-un, their power will be gone at the same time.
0: From what you've seen and when you were researching your book, is Kim Jong-un the kind of leader who... Gives power, you know, um, gives the autonomy to the, the women and, and also the men around him to do their jobs? Or do they always have to, to seek his approval before they make a decision?
2: I would will say the latter. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even I think it is not Kim Jong-un's call. I think of every single person who is working for Kim Jong-un is more than happy to be loyal to Kim Jong-un. And that is Kim Jong-un's magic. And that is the re- North Korean regime, like how it functions. So they are more than, do you, we all remember the photo of Kim Yo-jong mm-hmm. like, uh, holding this ashtray? Ashtray,
0: yeah.
2: And that is a servant serving like her master, right? Mm-hmm. And she is not a stupid girl. She is really smart and she actually calculated the angle, I think to say out to the world that, okay, I serve my brother. Mm-hmm. He is the king. I worship him. And that is a really a smart kind of a thing, kind of a message.
0: I mean, he might be in the role of, of some kind of a king, but she also grew up with him. So she's seen him when he was a boy and, and when he was definitely not kingly. <laughs> uh, do, do you? Th- I mean, I, I wonder, is it <laughs> yes. simply that the role that he's in, that she has respect for the role, or does she actually, you know, we can't know this, we can't know whether she actually thinks that her brother is something special or if it's just that that's the, the title he has. On May the 30th this year, you published a guest essay in the New York Times with the rather clear headline, Why North Korea's Princess Will Never Wear the Crown. Can you explain that title for us?
2: Yes, and again, I hope I am really wrong. Or well, back then when I wrote that piece, well, it was... I've talked to like twenty experts, mm-hmm. who many of them were like intelligence, like office officials, like at the NIS, ah. and actually they were saying that okay, well, ninety nine percent, the answer is no, that Tam Tieu will be wearing the crown.
0: Now, is that. Okay, we've got two things there. First of all, the the question of what is her name, but we'll come back to that later on. Yeah. we've got a separate question about that. But the, mm-hmm. the, the first question is, can she never wear the crown because no woman can wear a crown in North Korea? Or that's is, the logic. Okay, yeah. that so, was
2: the logic back then. But uh-huh. um, well, that was kind of in the early stage of the daughter's well debut.
0: Right. I mean, she she came out in November twenty twenty two. You wrote your piece in May. Mm-hmm. Since then, another seven months have gone by and another few outings with the daughter you mm-hmm. know, a- accompanying her father to different events, including the recent satellite launch. Yes. So do you stand by your conclusion now that the daughter of Kim Jong-un, whatever her name is, will never be a successor of North Korea, a, a leader of North Korea?
2: Well, as of May this year, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, ninety percent no and ten percent yes. Mm-hmm. But now, after all those months have passed, right. I'm Different like seventy percent yeah. no and thirty percent yes. Uh-huh. okay. Because and there was like one photograph that really sort of talked to me, mm-hmm. and that was published in recent weeks. And that is actually a photo of the daughter whose name we are not mentioning intentionally. Right. And the daughter extending in front of her father ah you know as i've said the angle mm-hmm. of every single photograph that a north korean releases yep. has a meaning and there's this person who is actually standing in front of mm-hmm. the dear leader right. is a message and and actually that is why recently a senior level advisor to the president they got talked to the reporters Mm -hmm. that okay well now we should not be ruling out the possibility
3: Mm.
0: okay now of course she's only what 11 12 13 we're not really sure what her exact age is her name and age a bit of a mystery Um, but these are things that priming a successor takes some time kim il-sung spent decades to get kim jong-il ready Kim Jong Il didn't have a lot of time. I mean, uh, because of the stroke, Kim yeah. Jong Un, mm-hmm. uh, he had his coming out party in September 2010, and then the father, you know, Kim Jong Il died in December 2011. Yes. so uh, there was really just about a year and a couple of months. And so I guess Kim Jong Un, if he if he is thinking about the next generation, he wants to take a bit of time. There are some unconfirmed stories that he may have other children that Kim Jong, uh, that the, the girl may not be the only child or even the oldest child? Do you put any credence to that?
2: Yes, actually, I do agree. And I've talked to uh, quite a few people who are really well informed. Mm -hmm. And some of them told me well, if I just like sum up everything and just digest it, I have this conclusion that there might be three children in total, at least.
0: Mm, Okay.
2: And Jue, well, I'm sorry, the daughter would be one of them. Mm -hmm. And well, the person who is really like who meets with North Korean senior level people on a regular basis told me that there are two sons and one daughter.
0: Okay. It's interesting, going back when Kim Jong-il had four children or something but by two different mothers, that even before Kim Jong-un had been announced as a successor in September 2010, there was already a lot of talk in the intelligence community and in the media about, well, you know, Kim Jong-nam is the oldest, but it won't be him because of whatever reason and to then you the Tokyo Disneyland thing yeah the Tokyo Disneyland scandal and then there's the Kim Jong-chol as the oldest son by the second mother but it won't be him because Kim Jong-un said that he's too effeminate and mm-hmm. then there's another so similarly here I guess we've got a, a bunch of children and Kim Jong-un may have chosen the daughter because she's the one he's bringing out everywhere you, you have to wonder on what basis he's making that decision and if he does make that decision then uh, she probably could be the successor now going back to the name question we've been hedging on that, because there's a story that came out just a few months ago Mm -hmm. from a former NIS agent here in South Korea who said that despite all the reporting that her name is Kim Joo-ae, that that's really a misunderstanding, and that Kim Jong-un was not saying her name is Joo-ae, but referring to her as Joe ae and that her name is really Kim Eun-joo. What do you think about that? Is it likely, given all the reporting about, for example, people who had the name Joo-ae had to change that name because it's too similar to the daughter, you know?
2: I personally think that, well, given the circumstances so far, I think, like, uh, Jube is, like, uh, I would, like, uh, my vote, uh, give my vote to Jube. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I have to be cautious um, because, like, uh, when Kim Jong Un first came out, like mm-hmm. everybody was spelling, well, including yeah, myself, Kim, Kim Jong Un. Yeah. And that is actually because of this, uh, well, a Japanese um uh, cook named uh, Mr. Ken- Hujimoto Genji, Ken- yeah. who was Kim Jong Un's favorite, mm-hmm. um, and of course, like his father's favorite to uh, cook in Pyongyang. And in Japanese language, yeah, like there is no un, there is yeah. only un. Mm-hmm. So that is why we sort of like spell his name Kim Jong-un mm-hmm. with the un like uh, with Chinese characters like a uh, uh, meaning cloud. And even back then, well, people like, well, who, are, like, who knew, mm-hmm. who know North Korea said, there is like uh, almost zero a chance that North Korean regime would like uh, have that like a uh, cloud mm-hmm. Chinese character yeah. in the leader's name. And there might, might be some like a misunderstanding. And they... Happened to be right, Mm -hmm. right? So, so we have to be very cautious about the names, but at the same time, what should we call her,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I do wonder why this NI, former NIS agent uh, whose name escapes me, why he came out and said very clearly in an interview, no, no, it's not, not Jue, it's Unju. I mean, he. He must be basing that on something, but mm-hmm. we don't know what that is yet. No, not yet. No. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the idea of, of, of who can be a successor, before Bashar al-Assad became president of Syria following mm-hmm. the death of his father Hafez al-Assad in, in July t- 2000, so... 23 years ago, there were voices in the West who thought there was no way that he could become president. You know, he had uh, studied ophthalmology in England and he was too soft. And and then there were some that said, oh, well, even if he does become the leader, then he's not strong enough and he won't last long. And yet, you know, 23 years later and a civil war later, Bashar al-Assad is still president of Syria. Uh, And I guess this is why I'm skeptical when people claim to know with a certainty whether or not the daughter of Kim Jong-un could succeed him as a leader.
2: Yes, actually I agree and I hear you Jacko. and I think that not well, okay after like writing on North Korea there's one thing that I'm really sure mm. But you can, um, I mean, what is predictable about North Korea that is that they are really unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. And that is not because they're stupid. Mm-hmm. It's because or they... because they're crazy. Yes. Um, they are really, they know how to tantalize people. Mm. They know how to wait. They uh, went to wait and when to come out. So if you just like, if you expect the least, yep. they, it might happen and you never know. Right. And Kim Jong-un might be thinking that, okay, well, you know, gender is not the priori- top priority. Mm-hmm. Like he might be just like uh, watching like which cho- child of his would be fitting the crown.
0: Right. Yeah. Now in your book, there's also a chapter, the, the last chapter called When a South Korean female reporter met a North Korean official. Tell us about that. I presume this is your own experience?
2: Uh, actually, well, it is mine, and also it was like my uh, beloved, like Hubei, like a uh, junior reporter, and you know, it is my it's sort of like a regret um, mm-hmm. that I could not have enjoyed a chance to actually visit Pyongyang. Mm. But my, well, I've been to like Kaesong and many other like parts of the uh, like uh, North Korean territory, but. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is my dream to go to Pyongyang and I will go to Pyongyang in doing anything whatever right. <laughs> but um there was this like uh, my junior reporter who actually works for another publication uh-huh. and she has been um North Korean sort of an expert like for many years and she has <laughs> she was like one of the, like she won the lorry because we, what we do at the Unification Ministry Press Corps, mm-hmm. um, we do the lottery like to get a, just a handful of reporters to accompany the government trips like to North Korean cities. Uh, okay. Because not every single person can go, right? right. There's a limited like, city on, on plane and things like that. Yeah. So she won the lottery and she actually went to Pyongyang and <laughs> she, because like we want to like write everything that you See you do in Pyongyang is a newsworthy sort of thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And she was put into this like co- like hotel in Pyongyang. I ah. forgot the ex- like which one was that, but there was like a, this underground beauty salon.
3: Ah,
0: that could be th- well. It could be several hotels. I know. I've always yeah. stayed in the Yangakdo. That's got an underground beauty yeah,
2: salon. Yeah, yeah. So um, she was actually about was sort of like thinking about uh, doing a story mm-hmm. on kind of a personal kind of a story. Yeah. So she was actually, went down there and she actually, like, tried, well, she started to shampoo. But Mm
3: -hmm.
2: then another friend, another, like, sort of, like, colleague, like, went in, oh, my God, there's Kim Young-chul on the lobby. Oh, in the lobby of the hotel, right? Yes. um, So she actually, oh, my God, you know, I have to go now. And she just, like, uh, you know, like... Without like drying her hair, she just like uh, ran um to the lobby out of the beauty salon. <laughs> yes, out with of the beauty salon with shampoo in her hair. Yes, with her shampoo. Wow! And she on the lobby, she asked Kim eun So you are you the one um the one who were behind the Chunnam like attack?
0: Mm. And and the shelling of Yongpyongdo. So yes. It, yeah. Okay.
2: And Kim Ye-chul was ha. Ah, he just like uh, uh disappeared. And he didn't answer the question. He didn't answer oh, the question. Oh dear. So, um, but we have this like a really sort of uh, interesting sort of anecdotes from yeah. like all reporting tours to all South Korea.
0: Wow! And hopefully one day that'll be you, right?
2: I know. Yeah. I am more than ready to like you know cut out, cut out on my shampoo and just like run yes. on the lobby floor. <laughs>
0: yeah. what, what's the story about North Korea that you would like to write an exclusive scoop on in the next year?
2: Well, I want to sit down with Miss Kim Yo Jong.
0: Ah. For an interview, yes, mm-hmm. because you know, Where?
2: in Pyongyang, okay. of course, because I, I know that um, she is, I, she is a, such an ambitious lady, and she is, well, I have this appetite for like uh, women who actually rule the world. Mm. And with all due respect, I am not demonizing her. I yep. am not sort of like a saying that she is crazy or whatever. Although I am re- little critical about her writings in um, Rodong Shimun.
0: Yeah, she does uh, um, yeah. go a little bit over the top with her criticism of South Korea and attacking uh, leaders yes. of South Korea. Yes, yeah.
2: but I'm actually, I am more than eager to listen to her part of stories.
0: Wow. Uh, well, thank you uh, once again, John Sujin, for joining me on the NK News podcast today. Uh, listeners can find your book, North Korean Women in Power, Daughters of the Sun, by looking online. And they can read your articles at the Jungang Ilbo and the Jungang Daily. Uh, are you on Twitter?
2: Um, no, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. but um.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. What's your Instagram uh, handle?
2: Uh, it's um, Sujini, like underbar Sujin C.
0: Okay. <laughs> we'll uh, put that in the show notes there. Thank you very much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Navigating the dynamics of the Korean Peninsula requires more than just information. It demands insight. Korea Risk Group offers strategic consulting that cuts through the noise. Our experts provide in-depth analysis, risk assessments, and bespoke reports, all tailored to your specific needs. Whether you're exploring new opportunities or managing existing challenges, our insights can be your compass. To learn more about how we can help you make informed, strategic decisions, Visit com slash solutions today. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode for today. Our thanks go to Brian Betts and Alana Hill for facilitating this episode, and to our post-recording producer genius Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, and fixes the audio levels. Thank you, and listen again next time.